Come on down to the brinery. Get your sauerkraut and your kimchi. German tested, Korean approved. Probiotics make your bowels move and groove. So call a neighbor and tell your friends. Cause the lacto-fermentation never ends. Have you been to the brinery lately? Ann Arbor Call on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, a show where we interview local people about interesting topics. Find our fan page. Thanks to Honey for the music. Today we'll be talking with Francis Farmer about Dr. Weston A. Price and his research of traditional peoples and perfect nutrition. You can find out more at the following websites, www.aawapf.org. That's the Ann Arbor Weston A. Price Foundation. You can find out more about Francis Farmer, who was a dental hygienist, a student of healing, and a shiatsu masseuse. You can find her at shiatsuannarbor.com. Later in the show, we'll be talking with St. Kim and Masters at the Dojo Kitchen about how to stay happy in the winter, how to stay warm, how to have sunlight, and how to be stress-free. Find out more about Tai Chi at dojokitchen.com. Enjoy the show. You getting that? Mm. Hey, Francis, please tell us who was Dr. Weston A. Price? An amazing uh, scientist and dentist in the 1930s who traveled the world and decided to study health and healthy people. He was looking for beautiful teeth, and he couldn't find beautiful teeth in his community in Cleveland, Ohio. So he traveled the world, and he found indigenous peoples. He went to every continent looking for villages of humans who were eating the traditional way that they had been eating for thousands or hundreds of years. And he not only found villages with humans with beautiful teeth, but they also had beautiful stature. They had no mental health problems. They had no heart disease. They had no other, they had no tuberculosis, which was rampant at the time in the 1930s. And he decided to study what they were eating and what they were doing. So he um, wrote a book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration and basically was giving us the outline for perfect nutrition the rules of nutrition for complete health, for stellar, radiant health. Um, The interesting thing about Dr. Price is he studied indigenous peoples, and at the time our science had the opinion that primitive peoples didn't have anything to offer us, that we were the smartest ones, we were the top of the evolutionary chain, um, and that industry and... um, the advancements in technology were going to save us and cure all these diseases. And he actually, instead of studying disease, went back and studied health and was truly blown away by what he, pers- what he found. And so he began a 10-year research on the foods that these peoples were eating and started healing children in his area and since in Cleveland, Ohio. He healed these children with lunch. <laughs> it just always blows me away. Like he gave them lunch, and he was seeing changes in their orthodontia, in the the facial structure, 
Um, he was seeing changes with children that had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, um, children with club feet, children with tuberculosis. Um, these were children that were not being fed well. They were from a poor area of Cleveland. And he could only get to them one meal a day because they lived at home. But he had a clinic, and he invited these children for one meal a day, and they were getting bone broths. Um, they were getting raw butter. They were getting raw milk, cod liver oil, um, and then homemade bread from stone ground wheat flour that was sourdoughed and made into bread. And with this one meal, five days a week, he was actually seeing um, amazing changes in these children. So I, I'm just really passionate about this work and knowing that it's um, we're not destined genetically to have diseases, that our genetic destination is radiant, beautiful health. But where did he go to school? He went to the U of M Dental School. And he yes. graduated from there, yeah. And his book, Physic Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, is in the, the halls of the dental school in a glass case, and no one reads it. Hmm. Please talk about bacteria. We have David Klingenberger here who makes amazing uh, fermented foods. And the thing we know about fermented foods is they're full of bacteria. They're full of really, really amazing bacterias. And what we've learned about the immunity system is it loves biodiversity. It loves contact with many, many organisms, not only bacterias, but viruses, worms, parasites. Um, the more they study about the culture, the microflora of the intestines, the small and large intestines, the more they go, oh, my God, there's beneficial viruses. There's beneficial parasites. We are full. We have more microflora in our body than we do cells in our body. I mean, that's another, it's another like, oh, my God. So when you say more like per by weight or by like actual like cells, unit, like by, by count. By, so by uh, count of cells, you have more bacteria than... More foreigners on our body than we do cell tissue. Wow. Hmm. We are all living with staphs and streps, and we all have these things. We must have E. coli in our large intestine. It is what actually breaks down milk. And so E. coli is essential for humans. The problem is we've got virulent, weird strains of E. coli coming from septic manure from factory farms. There was a scientist, and she was studying bacteria, and she mentioned how we're more bacteria, more fauna than we are human cells and that um, those bacteria actually may be communicating with our nervous system so if our if our if our guts are out of whack it can throw our whole body the energy everything our thoughts everything out of whack can you talk more about that about the lower intestine i know you have mentioned to me before and i've heard i'd like to is it true that you should have in a healthy ecosystem of our body we have up to seven pounds of these microflora, microflora <clears throat> in our lower intestine. Yep. Okay. And then what about <laughs> serotonin? Is serotonin it's the created in yeah. your lower intestine? The serotonin, 99% of the serotonin is developed by the enterocytes, which are the cells that line the small intestinal wall. They actually make the serotonin. Wow. So. It's so amazing. <laughs> it says a lot, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it's huge. That's amazing. So serotonin is... Created, developed, developed in, in your lower, intestine. in your small intestine. Yeah. And then what about your immune system? The, the, immune, the immune system is the crypt of those cells, of the enterocytes, is also the immune system. Wow. The immune, it's interesting, so the small intestine has many, many folds. And so if you took your small intestine and stretched it out, it would be the size of a tennis court. And so it's, it's, it's folded in on itself mm -hmm. on the inside. And it is lined with these little cells that have hairs that actually have to break down 
mostly the carbohydrates and the proteins to get into your bloodstream. These cells have to break them down into very small molecules to pass through. And they are like the border patrol. They are the guard between the outside world, which your small intestines is part of the digestive tract. So it's really connected to the outside, right? From your mouth to your anus and all the tubing in between is the outside world. It's like the skin um, because what goes in your mouth from the outside world doesn't go into your bloodstream, right? It just goes through the alimentary canal. So the way to get that food that you put in your mouth into your bloodstream to get to your cells has to be done. It's done in the small intestine. That's where the assimilation from the outside food world into your gut takes place. That is a very important system because it can't allow anything toxic into your bloodstream because that's when you get toxins in your bloodstream and you'll get very sick. So this... Um, that's why you have all these microfolds. That's why you have these folds. So you have incredible amount of surface um, area that's being touched by cells. Then on, on your small intestine, you also should have a thick layer of soil or um, basically it's like soil, but it's the microflora. You should have about an inch or so. You have seven pounds in your small intestine. And it's basically like soil is. It's full, you know, soil is mm. not dirt. It is actually living, right? It's more microorganisms. Comes from... Depends where you are, right? Well, absolutely. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you for that, Mark. <laughs> yes. Depends where you are. Then ideally, you want really good, fluffy soil that's full of life. You want you want living things in there. So these this layer of good, healthy gut flora lining those cells actually are the ones that are the border patrol. They say, oh, you can't pass the gut into the bloodstream. They don't allow toxins, molecules that are too big, um, things that you might accidentally swallow that aren't good for you. Um, and so what's got to get through there are one-celled things like sucrose, glucose, uh, fructose, amino acids, not proteins, or fatty acids. They have to be broken down. The food that you eat must be broken down into simple cells that can pass through the gut wall so then it can feed your body. So a heavy, a heavy metal would not be able to pass through a healthy food. Correct. Okay. And one of the great things about heavy, but, but what happens, what we're finding with children with autism or other disorders, and of course now we're finding with many adults is they have IBS, they have Crohn's disease. What you've got is it's, it's basically a leaky gut. And it means that the, the soil has been stripped away from antibiotics and or vaccines and mm. or birth control pills and or over-the-counter drugs, alcohol. Many things will kill your flora. And if you're not replenishing that flora with good lacto-fermented things um, daily and or being in the soil, being in the earth, because being, you know, we know now actually being in the soil strengthens our immunity system. They, they kind of know this. So... So what you're getting, though, is if you're, you're, you're losing this microflora, you're, you're not having good soil, and the cells are having to work hard because they have to do all the work. Normally, this um, soil of microorganisms, they make, they make every pharmaceutical you can imagine. They make vitamin C. They make, vitamin, they make vitamins. They make... Um, Actually, no one knows exactly all that they do, but one of the things they do that's really amazing is they will have, there's one bacteria that grabs on to heavy metals, and it will hold on to that until it gets excreted out through your body. Mm. So good, healthy gut flora means you're protected from many things. You've got this great border patrol. It's, it's taking care of you, and it's living with you. It's a relationship. Um, something I just learned at the conference I went to, and I just love this. He said, you know... 
everybody's gut flora is like a fingerprint. No two are alike. We have our own individual like life system we're supporting there. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's like yeah. we have our own. Everybody's would be different if we analyzed it. So we have our own little <coughs> separate life form, and it's, and it's related to who we are. But so go back to where I am about the... So if you're losing this, the soil, those cells, those enterocytes get weaker. They break down, the hairs break down, and they no longer can break down the cells very easily. So you have two things going. You've got now things getting into the bloodstream that don't belong there. And that's what's causing a lot of the food allergies. Food allergies are coming from your small intestine not being able to break down the amino acid or the proteins into amino acids. So you're getting proteins in there, which is why there's the whole casein morph, um, gluten diet because those are, those are proteins that aren't broken down and children are very susceptible to that. But what we're finding more is not just getting rid of those foods because you won't heal your gut if you do that. The idea is to actually heal your gut lining, which can take a couple years. It's mm -hmm. not something that happens quickly. Um, but what, so what you're getting is you're getting things in there that don't belong. And if you're eating a lot of, um, of flour and grains, actually, if you're eating a lot of grains, especially if they're refined and they're not um, lacto-fermented or broken down, um, you are getting, basically, it's going to stay in your gut because it won't get through the gut wall very easily. And it sits there and it is food. And it is food for many things that you do not want in your body, particularly yeasts. Yeasts are not, a, there are good healthy yeast, actually. There's one called Saccharomyces boulardii and kefir that Mark knows because I've told him all about it at the farmer's market. <laughs> I blabbed there too. Um, but what you're getting mostly is a feeding of candida, which will show up in the body as a rash. It'll show up as itchy eyes, itchy skin, um, infections, vaginal infections, um, uh, joint pain, rheumatoid arthritis. These are all, it's amazing Yeast will show up in flour in different places in your body. And so that's why we're encouraging people to stop doing a lot of the refined carbohydrates, the cereal, the bread, the pretzels, the chips, the crackers, the cookies, the muffins, um, the pasta, the pizza, blah, 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 unless it's actually really stone ground grains that have been soaked or fermented because they break down easier because the bacteria do for us what we can't do. But if you're getting these too much carbohydrates from the form of grains, you're going to be, if, if your body can't get them through the gut wall, it's sitting there and it will feed many things. You know, yeast itself, candida is not bad. It's there. You're going to have it. The problem is, is that we keep feeding it. So it over, it takes over and it, 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 it flowers and it becomes too much because we keep feeding it with refined foods. Mm. And if you, you're watching our and even even people who think they're eating well, they're eating a lot of cereal and, you know, no fat milk and, um, you know, really cute crackers um, that those those feed those feed yeast. That's not food you want to eat a lot of, you know, well, the thing they do is they release endorphins for you. So that's why we're so addicted to sugar. You eat sugar and the yeast go, oh, yeah, man, cool. They're like releasing little endorphins and you're like, oh, no, man, I feel great. And then, of course, when the endorphins die off, you're getting a little bit, it's like you're, you know, it's your junk, what is it? Getting it high. Yeah, you're getting high and then, then it goes down and it's, you're mm -hmm. crashing and you're like, oh, you want more. So you keep, you'll keep feeding it. And they're, they, they know that. Like, I don't know if they know that. I don't know how much conscious, I, you know, who knows how much consciousness these have, but the candidas do, they want you to feed them. They want to live like every other organism. Um, so. It almost seems as if these, 
these yeasts have formed whole corporations to get you to <laughs> to eat these things. Um, so I wanted to ask you uh, a little more about the flour. I've just recently le- recently been learning about the phytic acids and the enzyme inhibitors in the particularly the wheat germ and the wheat uh, bran. Yeah. Um, so um, one of the things I recently heard is, for example, you could eat um, you could eat a Wonder Bread, which is has no wheat has no wheat bran or germ. It's just the the sugars. Right. Um, and then you could also eat a whole wheat, um, just a regular whole wheat piece of bread has the bran, has the germ. And the exact same thing will happen to you. The, the Wonder Bread will give you no nutrients because it's absolutely devoid of them. Um, and the whole wheat flour will basically lock up the nutrients through the enzyme inhibitors that haven't been leached out or fermented out. So, you know, there's this huge, or there was this huge craze around whole wheat foods and right. like how good they are for your body. Um, by actually eating those, you're taking in a lot of fiber that's not going to get digested that sits in your gut. Yeah. One of the things, well, it's interesting because the phytic acid is in legumes and grains. The only thing that doesn't really have phytic acid, I think, is rice and millet. But otherwise, you've got this phytic acid enzyme inhibitors. And, And that's why, you know, you can have a can of beans. If they're not wet, they'll last forever. They don't Nothing breaks them down because they have natural preservatives. It's a good thing in nature because they're you, you want them to be able to last. Same with grains. If they're not exposed to moisture, they pretty much stay inert. The problem is, is if we eat them, they stay inert. We can't really break it. I, and I always think of grains and legumes as like these little magic pills, but you have to unlock the code. You have to break the code. to get, Because what it is is that not only are they – that they have phytic acid and other in- inhibitors. They also are uh, oligos- oligosaccharides, me- saccharides, meaning they have very long, complex chains of saccharides. They're really long chains, molecules. And you want to break them down so you can, it's like you've got this magic in there, but you got to open the lock. So the way to do it, the way the, all the indigenous cultures did it is they lacto-fermented it. Very simply, you create moisture, warmth, and or a little bit of culture starter if you can. And that some warmth, some time, and moisture, the bacteria grow. The bacteria that's that's on everything, that's living on the legumes or living on the grains, actually start to grow. And they begin to eat and break down for you what you can't do yourself. Mm-hmm. There are helpers. And so that's why the lacto-fermentation of grains is so different than just eating a, a, a floured product. The other thing with the flour thing, they do whole wheat, but once you once you uh, grind a, a grain into a flour, 
it only takes four hours for those oils to go rancid and for it to lose all of its B vitamins. So flour, essentially, if you don't use it immediately and ferment it or bake with it, you've pretty much lost all the nutrients. Hmm. That's why the f- milling processes are really kind of destructive because you create flour and it sits in sacks for, you know, how long? So if if you were to ferment uh, a flour, does that, can, can the yeast and the other organisms, can they somehow... S- bring recruitment like Life manufacture back. some of these back, yeah. B vitamins yeah. or well we don't want to do yeast fermentation so there's a difference between a yeast fermentation and a lactobacillus fermentation right okay so if if you so like the sourdough rye breads and the sour those are not yeasted they're done actually with the bacteria that's living on the the grain um and yeah i mean the so i've taken inert flour and fermented it. Um, it works. It's not ideal. It's not going to feed your culture as well. You're mm-hmm. not going to get a very fast growth because you have to think always when you want to grow a culture, you have to feed it good things. The, the better food you have for those cultures, the better culture and the, the stronger the strains are going to be. It's like when I do uh, kefir or yogurt, I want to have a really good medium to grow that culture in, uh, which is why I use raw milk. Um, as opposed to pasteurized milk, because pasteurized milk is sterilized. There's no, there's really not a lot of enzymes or food for these bacteria. They will grow because there's some, but the, but the more um, enzymatic your food is, the healthier and stronger your, your flora, your bacteria is going to be, your culture. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can do it. One of the things I do that's really simple is I'll take oatmeal and I'll, I'll just for breakfast I'll have oatmeal. The night I usually do it the morning for the next morning. I'll take my serving size that I want to cook and I'll put warm water in it, a little bit of yogurt, just stir it in. And then I put a lid on the pot and I leave it on the stove, not on the stove without fire under it. And I just let it sit for 24 hours so that the next morning I've got my oatmeal, add a little more water, heat it up, put in a big, huge amount of butter, stir it in. And I've got my porridge. I only have to cook it for a couple minutes too, because it's already been soaking. So it's soft. But what happens is it's soured. And now the bacteria have broken down the phytic acid and made that oatmeal way easier for me to digest. Mm. It's so simple and it tastes wonderful. Quick yeah. question on that. Uh, is it okay that. to use tap water or does that have... Yeah, filtered water is better. <laughs> I like to... Or, you know, I use filtered water for cooking. I use spring water for drinking. I don't really use tap water. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and there's good reason for that, too. I mean, chlorine is not the friend of... And fluoride. <laughs> and obviously fluoride, yes. Yeah. But, chlor- but chlorine is going to basically kill all the organisms. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Or many yeah, exactly. of them. It's hard to grow a culture in um, chloride. What's going on when you've got the lactofermentation happening in your jar or in your bread, that they're already um, changing the structure of the molecules of the food that they are on that they're that they're growing in they're actually changing it it's a really great point is sauerkraut has 10 times more vitamin c than cabbage it's like oh my god they're they're, yeah they're increasing the amount of vitamin c so people that want to drink orange juice when they have a cold i just go what cold orange juice no it's way too sweet do do sauerkraut juice exactly (laughs) I recommend sauerkraut juice for a lot of people. <laughs> now, what about the kind of sauerkraut you get at the store in a can? Well, it's probably been pasteurized. If it's not in a refrigerator, if it's not refrigerated, it's been pasteurized. So it means 
they'll make the sauerkraut and then they cook it and kill everything. It still has some value. It tastes good, but it's not going to be it's not going to be full of the enzymes and the byproducts of the lactobacillus. Not only that, the last time I was just browsing in Kroger's, they had um, big jars of sauerkraut, and it was actually made with vinegar, yeah, and that's... and sugar, yeah. and um, a couple different preservatives. <clears throat> so it's not even true fermented food. Correct. It's not fermented food at all. Yeah. So it's 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 a it's an instant pickle. It's just like making a vinegar cucumber pickle. It's an instant. Yep. Um, it's it's kind of faking the funk, as they say. Exactly, the faking. <laughs> that's the whole irony is that they always, you know, the reason we love lactofermented is we love that acid, mm-hmm. but it's a lactic acid, which is very different than ascorbic acid or citric acid. Right. And so, and that's what we've done with our pickles. Traditionally, all cultures did a pickle. Mm-hmm. You know, chutneys were pickled. They're lactofermented chutneys in India. They weren't, you know, with vinegar. They did a lactofermentation. They lactoferment uh, kimchi. Um, Daikon. These were all lacto Salamis. Salamis. Absolutely. <clears throat> a column out of autos. What the industry did is they took traditional things that we love and they faked them because ketchup, it it's like, oh, it's a fake. It, and the thing, the reason people love ketchup is it's sweet, it's salty, and it's sour. Mm-hmm. It's it's those three things, which if you did a real... So the wa- Nourishing Traditions has a lacto-fermented ketchup recipe in it. So you can make your own ketchup. It's amazing. Um same with soda pop. Soda pop was really basically after lacto-fermented beverages, right? It's fizzy. We all love fizzy. We like the sweet and the sour. I mean, when you have a real lacto-fermented ginger ale, oh, my God. Mm. It's awesome. But that's they, they, take, they take things that we have the receptor sites for, but they fake them. That's what factory foods do is they, 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 they're imitation. Um, but you can see why people like them. Mm. I watch people just like pour catch. I know kids who do... Their mother will give them a hot dog with ketchup, and they'll sit there in front of the TV with their fingers in the ketchup and just eat the ketchup. It's it's it, it, it's unbelievable how addictive it is. And there's like there's a sugar, tomato, vinegar, and MSG flavoring, of course, because that makes everything taste good. <laughs> That's the faking the umami flavor, right? The MSG. Yeah, exactly. Like if you eat if you eat one of Dave's pickles, it gives you that. It makes your mouth water because it's that, it's that flavor. You can't really describe it. It's just it's, that magical. When I first had it, I was like, oh, that's the sour I've been looking for because <laughs> I love sour. But I, didn't want, I don't want to eat vinegar. You yeah. know? It's like when you get the real lactic acid. You, it's yeah, you like, don't want acetic acid. You want the lactic. It's so good. And your body knows the difference. Well, mm. you know, sometimes. <laughs> and, and what's really interesting, if you read... The evolution, or I don't know who it is that you would read that would say this, the scientists, that the primitive <laughs> peoples always did some kind of fermentation, but that was because they didn't have refrigeration. And I'm like, oh, that's such a lie. It's because they knew it enhanced the quality of the food. You know, intuitively, I don't know if they knew it. They didn't know it microscopically, but they intuitively knew we do this for a reason. Um, and every culture Dr. Price studied had a lacto-fermented food. Their beverages were lacto-fermented. Um, because it enhances the enzymes, it enhances the vitamins. Um, it's easier to digest, uh, and it tastes great. And that's and that's the thing you brought up the book nourishing traditions. I just love that term, a nourishing traditional food, where <clears throat> it's not just that it was good for their health. It was, it tasted good. It was a form of food preservation, and it was their medicine. It was it was yes. everything. It's like this whole trifecta. It was for every reason. It was just instinctual, like traditional food, and that's what they've people evolved with yeah. 
And you look at animals existing and, you know, you look at these like complete ecosystems and they've become this way for a reason. And Mm -hmm. so it wasn't just for nutrition or just because it tasted good, but it was for every reason. Well, that's what was really cool. What what they did is their, and and what I love is their community revolved around getting these foods, that these foods were not easy to get. In the, somewhere in Polynesia, I don't know what island, they knew they had to get these crabs at a certain time of year that were eating coconuts. They were the coconut. They were the crabs that came in at a certain time. They would eat the coconuts, and they had this incredibly elaborate way that the young men would go and they would get these crabs at a certain time of year. Like it's like twice a year they do this, and they would get these crabs to feed to the young women before they conceived because they knew. They had this amazing ability to find sacred foods. They had what they called sacred foods, and they were foods that they gave to young men and women before they procreated because they knew that preconception diet was extremely important to have a powerful genetic heritage, to pass the, the beauty of their lineage on to their next generation. They knew they had to have these foods, these sacred foods. The irony is these sacred foods are very high in animal fat. They were fats and cholesterol. The, the, the very foods we have demonized, the very foods, but for the last 20 years or 50 years, we've been freaking out about, ah, it's got cholesterol or, ah, it's got saturated animal fat, blah. It causes heart disease and da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, oh, no, what's the irony is these are the sacred foods. These are the foods that they must have, and they went to great lengths, and they had ceremony around it, and they fed it to their children. They fed it to um, the mothers before they conceived, and they fed it to the fathers before they conceived. They were very, very careful on getting these foods to their to their next generation, and they always fed the children first. Mm. The children were their future. So, A backlog of questions here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, one, uh, just to get on the record, also if you buy um, fermented food, normally people would be uh, used to getting a lot of, like, the farts. Is yeah. that is that what we're talking about? Wind? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wind in the intestines? Um, is that normal? Should we? Not with, like, well, it's normal if you have a lot of gas. And what's causing gases, or not the gas, yeast. Yeast is what's causing the gas. So if you have a lot of a lot of farts, <laughs> that's a sign you have a lot of yeast in your body. Uh-huh. And the yeast are making gas from undigested fiber. That's why high fiber is not necessarily a good thing. We don't want a really high fiber diet. We don't want to be eating wheat germ um, because that's a, that also is, is making gases. And those gases, even though they're, they're, they seem pretty benign, they're actually kind of hot for the mucosal membrane. It's they're a little bit acidic or not acidic, but a little um, what's the word abrasive. Mm. Um, so a lot of gas is not a good sign. A lot of gas means you have a lot of yeast and you're probably eating too much fiber and you want to start eating more lacto fermented and things broken down. called on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Thanks for listening. I have to get the plug in for saturated animal fats. That's the big one. Yes. I want everybody to eat more fat, not canola oil. 
This is fat. Like animal fat. Animal fat. Were Butter. We, were everyone in this room, were we all vegetarians at one time? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, eat an- eat butter. Lots of butter. Um, lacto-fermented raw dairy. Raw dairy is a powerful food. You don't have to kill the animal. The Maasai never killed their cows. They would milk them and bleed them. They would release the blood enough so that it didn't hurt the animal. The animal wouldn't. It was like going to the blood bank. Going to you know going to the Red Cross and giving your pint, but so they would ble- they would drink the blood and they would eat the milk. I mean, and that's that's what all their most of their nutrition was. Um, hmm. So it's you don't really have to kill the animal to get the nutrition from the animal. Um, dairy cows are a great example, or you know ruminants because of their milk. Um, the important thing, um, the reason the fats are so important is because they are where the vitamin A, the true vitamin A, not the beta carotene in carrots, but the true vitamin A, the retinol, and the vitamin D um, is. And these two nutrients, vitamin A and vitamin D, Weston Price found those were the sacred foods. Foods that had A and D in them were the sacred foods um, because vitamin A and vitamin D are more than vitamins. They actually, it's, they're amazing what they do. They have these. Um, they have the ability to go to the nucleus of a cell, open up the nucleus, and touch the DNA. That A and D, and also K two, vitamin K two. These three vitamins create our um, in the embryo create our skeleton, and they create all of our organs. Vitamin A gives the cell its marching orders to what cell it will become and develop. And what's really cool about this is vitamin A comes from the grasses. It comes from the chlorophyll in the grasses made by the sun. And it's this, it, it, it's more than just a chemical. It's an energy, um, but it's, it's in the grasses. It's in the growing green stuff. And vitamin D is coming actually from the sunshine. And it's, it's like how the sun gets into our DNA. Like we're affected. <laughs> this is really cool, isn't it? Amazing. I was reading this. I was like, oh my God. So, so, <laughs> They found that the vitamin A and vitamin D actually are the energy of the planet turning on our DNA and telling it what it's supposed to be. Hmm. So, and it's in the animal fat. <laughs> it's not in steak. It's not in, I'm sorry, but it's not in broccoli. <laughs> it's in the fats of animals. I also have, a. I really am against the factory farms, the way they're raising our animals in factory farms. So as, as a vegetarian person, I would never partake um, in eating industrialized meat. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a hunter in my life, and I am not hunting yet. But I do get my meat always from farms that have animals that are raised outdoors. So the animals are living outdoors. They're eating grasses. They're in the sunshine so that there's vitamin D in their fat. There's vitamin A in their fat if they're eating grasses. If they're eating grains like corn or soybean or jelly bellies or whatever the factory farms are giving them, there's no vitamin A in their fat. I know what they do. They give them jelly bellies. And, they do. Um, humanely raised animal um, consumption for me is very important. So it's not that I eat animal. It's just where do I get the meat that I eat? It's the gift of the gods. You know, I mean, I know it just sounds so really esoteric, but this is how I see it. So it's like this. This is our inheritance to be able to be eating these foods to get what we need to be who we're supposed to be. Uh, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride wrote a book called The Gut and Psychology Syndrome. She's in the UK. She's a Russian MD. She's got three PhDs. And she's the one who actually has created the link between the small intestine and autism, ADD, schizophrenia, um, a myriad of other mental disorders. And she absolutely is having amazing healing 
there are she healed her child of autism with food and probiotics alone. So they're doing they have a clinic. They have thousands of people, um, children and adults going there and they're getting amazing results of healing. But it takes a long time. You know, that's the thing. It's a process. And she said the shortest amount of time you can be on this gut and psychology syndrome diet is two years. That to heal the small intestine lining and to really reestablish a healthy gut flora takes about two years. Mm-hmm. Every morning, I, I've been doing for a couple of years now goat kefir. I get raw goat milk and I kefir it with kefir grains. Um, I drink that um, with a little Celtic sea salt in it. And sometimes in the summer, I do it with a little mineral water. And in the winter, I might put a little hot water in it to warm it up. So it's not it's not hot, but it's warm. Um, I do my cod liver oil every morning. Um, in the winter, I always do more. And I do the fermented cod liver oil from Green Pastures. Mm. And then I have, I often have a bone broth. My husband and I will do like a bone broth, either chicken or um, beef that we have in the freezer. And we'll mix it with miso, a little miso. And um, take an egg, put an egg in it and whip it up and you've got a nice creamy soup. Um, And then I often have either um, the sourdough rye bread from Mill Pond, my favorite bread. Um, It's the only bread I eat anymore. But the sourdough rye bread with some butter and some raw cheese. And that's that's pretty much my breakfast. Mm. So no coffee needed. No, I do green tea sometimes. Uh. (laughs) Organic green tea. Um, I do butter in my tea. As I, you know, I think about the Tibetan monks, mm-hmm. and they always put yak butter in their tea <laughs> to mm-hmm. keep warm. It is an amazing way to stay warm in the winter is to just drink hot water with butter in it or coconut oil. Um, sometimes I mix a little of both. Sometimes I just do one or the other. Um, I have a jar of coconut oil at work, so if I'm not able to eat lunch, I'll just take hot water and put some coconut oil in it and drink it, and it'll keep me for a couple hours. I feel completely satiated. Don't get blood sugar swings um, like I would from kindling. What about apple cider vinegar shots for in the morning? Um, I my father has been doing that for years. I usually um, I figure I eat enough hard stuff to swallow like the cup. <laughs> I'm like okay, some days I do it. Um, I actually do a beet kvass sometimes. Mm-hmm. I've been doing shots. It's what they make it with garlic, and oh my god, it's really good. Um, apple cider vinegar is a great way. I but I do the kefir, so I'm getting lacto fermentation. I I believe in a lacto fermentation with every meal. And kefir is lacto-fermented, so I don't have to do both. If I wasn't getting, if I didn't have the kefir, I would probably do apple cider vinegar. And uh, I would do it in warm water with a little honey, maybe. So what I really see happening is if people indulge in really good foods, like if you get if you get good coconut oil or good butter or good raw milk or um, you start doing the lacto-fermented, you do good meats with a lot of fat and a lot of bone and bone broths and eggs and caviar, if you like, or crab or lobster or shrimp with butter, things that you love, things that are really, really amazing, your craving for the sugar is way less. I always say, don't attack the craving. Don't beat yourself up over it because it's very hard. Um, it's, and with the holidays, there's so much junk around that people freak out. But as much as possible, start indulging in good foods, even if it's just putting a big chunk of butter in your tea or in your soup you will start to be satiated in a way that you're not sitting there thinking about not eating a muffin. You know, you're not going to feel this attraction to these sweet, junky foods as much if you really nourish your body with real food. Um, You can't just get rid of the carbs and the sugar. You got to nourish at the same time. And I think that's something people miss. How about another recipe? 
<laughs> my favorite is oxtail stew. I just um, I discovered it not too long ago, and it's it's great because there's a li- there's meat on it, but it's not the meat. It, you get the vertebrae, you get the discs between the vertebrae, you get the spinal cord, um, and you, so what you get is this amazing gelatin rich broth. So I take the the um, oxtail, I rinse them, I dry them, and then I sprinkle Celtic sea salt and fresh ground pepper all over it, and then I brown them in my Dutch oven, which is a cast iron Dutch oven, at a pretty high heat just to sear the, the outside so it seals in the juices. So I sear them all, and then I turn it down, and I put in a bone broth, um, whatever I have available. It doesn't really matter. And if you don't have a bone broth, water will do. Water, bone broth, um, and I like red wine in mine because it gives it a really red, red, rich color. Bay leaves, lots of garlic. I use lots of garlic cloves. Um, and then... Um, any spices you want. I sometimes will do a dried pepper, chop it up and put a little pepper in it because I like it a little spicy. Um, you could do rosemary, oregano, um, thyme, marjoram, whatever spices you have. And then I bring it to a boil and then I put the lid on it and I put it in the oven at 250 for about six hours. I can go from four to six hours. It's pretty much done in four hours, but it can go if I'm going to go to work and I won't be home, I can leave it. Um, but And if I'm home, what I'll do in the meantime, about an hour and a half before I think it's done, I'll put in root vegetables like turnips, carrots, onions, celery root, and or Brussels sprouts, which are my favorite. So I just put a lot of root vegetables in there, put the lid back on, put it back in the oven, and let it go another hour and a half to two hours. And it is the best meal. It's so good. And people love it. They don't know what they're eating. They often go, what is Cause it? Because when you serve it, I mean, they got these big, huge vertebrae. They're gigantic. <laughs> they're really beautiful. <laughs> but they're these gigantic vertebrae. And, you know, I'm saying they're sucking the marrow out of it and the gel. But um, everybody I've served it for loves it. And they all go, oh, my God, my grandmother used to make this, which is so funny about good food. When you bring people this food, they'll tell you stories. You always get stories, and it's usually about their grandmother or their grandfather or some family member who used to do this, and they love it. Um, so it's it's pretty cool. So the oxtail thing's my favorite. What about something with cranberries? Uh, mostly what I would say is because cranberries are in season in the winter, which is amazing because it's the one fruit that's in season in this time of year. Um, is you could just do a lacto-fermented cranberry uh, relish. Um, I don't, I don't know how I would do it. I would experiment with it, but basically, you can ferment any vegetable or fruit. That's the cool thing. Um, and if you either looked at the nourishing traditions, I'm sure she has a fruit chutney that you could substitute with cranberries. But I would venture to say I would like to have lime in it because I love mm-hmm. lime, and maybe some ginger. A ginger lime cranberry chutney. Um, And I would probably do it in the food processor and push it down so I had enough juice to cover. And probably a little, it would need some sweetener, so probably a little honey. And then I would just let it sit out for four days. Do you need to put whey or anything like that? You could. If you don't have the Celtic sea salt, um, you could put a little whey. But if you have enough juice, what you have to do with the fermentation is they have to be underneath the liquid. The liquid has to be covering, and it can just be the juices from the fruit or vegetable, or you add whey to fill it up a little bit. So you can use whey, but a lot of people, they don't have whey. You don't have to have whey. Um, it just starts it a little faster. It's like a booster. And after a couple of days, you're done. 
Mm-hmm. Usually four days. Okay, so David, how long do you do your ferments? <clears throat> or does it depend? It depends on uh, the temperature, what time of year it is, what it is. But um, these pickled carrots and turnips we've been eating have all been gone. have all fermented for about anywhere from two to four weeks. Um, kimchi is usually no longer than a week, okay. maybe even just a couple days. But it just really depends on, I think, the, the temp- temperature. Temperature yeah. is a big factor. Do you have them in a, a certain area that has a mean temperature, or do you? Yeah, I try to have them kind of in a temperature-controlled environment. Like, the ideal would be cellar temperature. It all goes back to traditional food. Mm-hmm. Stuff was made mostly in the autumn when you had this bounty, and then you fermented at that cool, cool cellar temperature, um, 50 degrees, 60 oh, degrees. 50. Yeah. Cool. That's great. And the temperature will change the flavor too, won't it? Yes, and that gets into complexities that are beyond my simple layman's fermentation skills. But there's definitely like, I mean, more probably species of bacteria than we'll ever know. But yeah. there's different stages of fermentation that, yeah, the longer and cooler it ferments, uh, traditionally the the more complex the flavors. But right. the the quicker and the hotter it is, the, the hotter it is, the quicker the ferment, and the more maybe just like this acidic top note there is but the longer and slower it ferments there's all the complexities Complex yeah because i think there's more types of the lactic bacteria thriving yeah that makes sense yeah it gives time for them to grow yes it's very cool all right well we've been joined by david klingenberger of the brinery mm-hmm. who does real lacto fermented vegetables and you can find him at the ann arbor farmer's market yummy yummy lacto fermented vegetables also vegetables. mark angelini <laughs> And he uh, is uh, working for Thomas Organic Creamery. You can also find him at the market and talk to him about systems thinking, permaculture, uh, pretty much anything. And lacto-fermented yogurt. Yep. And kefir grains. And you can also check me out on my website, which is rootstofruits.biz, B-I-Z. Oh, I like that, Roots to Fruits. Nice. And doesn't the brinery have a website too? Oh, sure, but this is not about the brinery today. <laughs> and uh, finally, we have our special thank you very much guest, uh, Francis Farmer. Yay, Francis Farmer. Yay. Yay, me. Oh, I have one. I have a plug for the um, Ann Arbor chapter of the West Nay Price Foundation. Yes. And we do free classes. We do. Uh, we have a meeting every month, the third Wednesday of the month. And um, you can check the website out. It's www.aawapf.org. <laughs> AA has an Ann Arbor W A P F Weston A Price Foundation dot org. Did you say org? Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much, Francis. Oh, Jeffrey, thank you. Thank it was you, great Francis. To talk. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> right. Now let's talk with the Tai Chi masters over at Dojo Kitchen, Joseph Wang. Can you talk a little bit about training in the cold? Yes, it's um, it's a really um, interesting training because it doesn't mean that um, that I don't feel the temperature. The temperature is um, it's pretty cold. It is, and it's it's for me when I'm practicing Tai Chi out there in the cold. It's really. I'm looking at um, how my body reacts to that signal. For instance, in the beginning, my fingertips will feel like it's being pierced by thousands of needles, and that's—I I would say—that's not a pleasant feeling for most people. But um, as you learned, that um, that pain is really a, um, a very strong signal, and really, you can choose to do 
choose to um I would say not to ignore it because when you ignore pain you you might end up um injure yourself even further but rather be be conscious of what what it's doing to your body and how you can find more freedom to your body to be able to either move or get the blood flowing again so that you can you can fill it with um more energy so that the the sensation will subside and um and when you are when you're uh, feeling for the the coldness um in outside it's really you're looking at how the pain the cold um affects your your mind because i noticed that a lot of people when they feel cold the first thing is is they they clench their jaws and as the tai chi practice goes whenever you tense a part of your body your energy doesn't flow and guess what when your jaw is blocked then then the rest of the body doesn't flow so that it's important so back to the conscious freedom the conscious freedom is that you have the freedom to consciously also have to the freedom to consciously choose to to um notice how where your body is um tense so that you can release it and then you can get the energy to flow a little bit better and then you can feel the warm sensation returning to your body and um i would say the the as the temperature drops it's really gives us um a really um um urgency to to practice our um our mind of how how we handle different situations because i i noticed that as we uh, learn how to do standard meditation which is um we put ourselves in a very um structured and also very um um not moving state of the body so it's very restrictive but then we we are finding how our body can move so minutely that induces more relaxation in our body and induces more pleasure as we are standing there just standing in one place and then we start to look f- to look for more more um sensation of this um pleasure in whatever you do mm. especially when you're when there's a tremendous amount of pressure upon you and i want to really make the distinction between stress and pressure because we have we really have no um ch- choice but to 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 experience pressure because there are always pressure outside um coming in but it's our choice to be under stress or not and most of the time we are not conscious of that we have the choice to to see pressure as pressure and stress as um something that we induce to ourselves and through the tai chi practice it really allows us to to um elevate our minds above the the stress so we don't we understands that the stress really comes from our our mind rather than the pressure from the outside so that we can really um find a better way out of it or find a better way to have more information to deal with what's at stake yeah and I, and i'd like to add that you're part of the consciousness is like a lot of us go through the day stressed out and we don't even realize we're stressed out and so you can't really do anything about it if you don't realize you're in that state so part of the consciousness is seeing seeing that noticing you're stressed out being very um having having the ability to distinguish that at you know at any time so then you can move out of that state into a state of relaxation. Thank you, Joe Kraut. Sang Kim, can you please share with us 
your thoughts on how to stay sunny during the cold days of winter? Uh, a lot of people miss the sunlight. Now, I think I, I'm a big believer in meditation, uh, meditative practices, uh, like a lot of people are in, in our field. Um, but I think meditation becomes too difficult oftentimes. Um, and I think one of the things I want to say is, is that, number one, it's interesting, you miss the sunlight, but it's really not about, it is the sunlight. I mean, sunlight, not having sunlight, you know, does, does impact you directly. But what's interesting about this is, is that you can actually have light within you. You can literally feel the light within you. And you can actually try this by, like earlier I was mentioning, you can be out there and you can be remembering the times where you're, you know, on a balmy, sunny day. And when you remember that, you will feel your body change instantaneously. But another thing you can do is you can actually um, close your eyes and then you can actually imagine the sun right in front of your forehead, like a small orb. Um, and as you just watch that, you can sit there and you can do this anywhere, uh, just where you take a moment to yourself and you just make yourself comfortable and you sit, and then you close your eyes, and you just picture this orb right in front of your forehead, where they would call the third eye. And as you see it, you see things brightening, and you see things brightening in front of your forehead and inside your forehead. And before you know it, you feel like things are really bright. Now, how this works, I don't know. But I do know that it really works, and... Um, one of the things that happens is you forget that things are dark. And that's actually one of the greatest benefits. You oftentimes forget it's dark until somebody points it out. And then you go, oh. And then you don't know how to answer the question because it doesn't seem that dark to you. <laughs> and so and, and so that's some of the, I guess that's actually what would be like in the line of the benefits that Alexis was talking about is when you start having some of these choices, um, they're, they're absolute choices. They're not just in your mind. They're actual physical choices. They're actual physical experiences that you go through that actually changes. And um, you, you basically start having a different kind of life where it's not an imagination or it's not... How should I say this? And I want to also make sure when I say physical, I want to make sure that it's not physical in the sense of um, something you're having to do with the body, but in the reality. In reality. It works in reality. So, oftentimes people say, oh, you know, time will cure it. And, you know, after a certain amount of time passes, you know, the pain will go away. Well, that's not going to help you right now. <laughs> right? I mean, if it's painful right now, it's painful right now. But you can learn in the moment, and you can try this all, uh, when you're going through a very painful experience, it's very simple. When, let's say, for instance, you're going through an emotionally traumatic experience, um, uh, you can actually look in. You can kind of just close your eyes, and you can just monitor that part of you that's holding on, that's really resisting you. And as you, as you observe that place, you'll notice that just by watching it, there's a certain freedom. And as you watch it, you will notice that it moves. 
and as you watch it, you'll notice that it starts releasing. And sometimes you'll have associated memories that come up with it. Sometimes you'll notice certain thoughts. Now, the key thing here is not to get caught up in those thoughts and just go on another different journey. But as you sit with it and just see it release, you'll notice that it releases and the space, your heart area, your chest area, becomes very spacious. It becomes open. And as it becomes open, you realize that there's a certain inner freedom. And it just happens. It happens as long as you're willing to f try try it. it. It happens as long as you're, not willing, uh, you're willing to not try and do something to it. Oftentimes people try and make themselves feel differently. They try and like not feel the pain or they go into the pain and they relive the pain. But it's a little bit different. It's actually just letting the pain be and it's just watching the pain. It's like being heard, actually. And what would Gabriel say to do during the winter? No quotations are necessary for uh, for my teacher. Um, no, um, my teacher would actually uh, Gabriel. My teacher would actually create a bubble around them, and he'd heat up the bubble, and then he'd have people come in and warm themselves like on a, <laughs> on a furnace. <laughs> So awesome. the, yeah, so he would he would just stand there, and people would be hover, uh, hover like you know, like uh, hovered uh, would hover around him, and like they'd be like you know ha would have their hands as if they're warming their hands on him, and if there's a new student, they'd be like, "What are you doing?" And it's like, uh, and they would say like, "Never mind, just put your hands here," <laughs> and then they put their hands in there, and they go, "Whoa, it's warm. This is crazy." I know that's why we just told you to do it. And so there'd be a quote. So that, that, uh, that's, uh, I guess that's one of the things that the first things that come to my mind. Beautiful. Thank you very much for being with me. Sang Kim, Joseph Wang, Joe Kraut, Lexi's Newhouse. You can find out about their classes at www.dojokitchen.com. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Thank you. <laughs>